In this episode, I'm joined by equine fitness expert, Jack Ballou. We talk about how to bring a horse back into foundational fitness after a break. You'll get lots of valuable information that you can use. Everyone is going to need this information at some point in their journey. So here we go. Episode 150, Equine Fitness with Jack Ballou. I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Jack Ballou's business is called Jack Ballou Equine Fitness and Performance. She's a horse trainer and a top-selling author of multiple books that have become pillars of the horse industries, such as 101 Dressage Exercises for Horse and Rider. Combining expertise in equine exercise physiology and classical dressage, Her methods lead riders to measurable success by relying on simple, straightforward instructions, focusing on proper biomechanics and athleticism. Jack says, I feel like I'm at the beginning of my learning journey with horses. They mesmerize, reward, and challenge me daily. On this journey so far, I've written five books relating to equine fitness and exercise, studied extensively abroad, and immerse myself in the task of helping horses move with more ease, comfort, and efficiency. She says, I'm a shy Vermonter who ended up in California and fell in love with pushing boundaries in the mountains through long trail runs, mountain biking, and high altitude adventures. Now, I've been wanting to have Jack on the pod for a while because on the live Q&A calls for my courses, I often get asked about how to bring a horse back into fitness after having a break. And even though this is, this is something that I have done many times with horses, I don't ever feel like I have the best answer for how someone else should do it. So I think you're going to really find this conversation helpful. Okay, let's get right to it. All right. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. It's such an honor. Uh, I'm going to try to not be intimidated. No, it's a real privilege. I'm a subscriber to your podcast. So big fan, big fan. Oh, cool, cool. You know, um, we met very briefly uh, years ago when you stopped by a clinic that I was doing in California. I think um, our mutual friend David Lichman had somehow told you I was there and, you know, let me know you were coming. And I remember, um, well, I remember, first of all, not getting to talk to you nearly as much as I wanted to because I was in like clinic overwhelm mode. Um But I do remember that the clinic was like up in the redwoods on top of a hill and you showed up on your bike. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah, that's right. Written your bike. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this chick knows a thing or two about fitness. (laughs) (laughs) So I know, you know, you're into your own personal fitness and equine fitness and dressage training, classical dressage training. So can you share a little bit about your journey of how you ended up doing what you do now, which seems like this beautiful blend of your passions, but like, which came first? How did that, how did that evolve? Oh, well, you know, I've, I've always been into, um, 
like acknowledging the importance of the role of fitness in horses some from the time I was a little kid. I don't I mean I didn't recognize that's what it was, but as a kid, my parents were trainers in Vermont. My dad still is. He's a carriage driving trainer. Um and that's how they made their living. They were hippie homesteaders and they trained some horses and they bred Morgans and they had a farm and I was really into um, competitive trail riding and had some really great mentors. And as a little kid, I was, you know, I was always conditioning my horses for the trail events, but I was also really aware of how their bodies might be feeling. And like in my little 10 year old way, trying to massage out their sore spots and like watching them move around the field and trying to decide if they looked stiff or tired from my last workout, you know, just kind of putting the pieces together a little bit like that. And, um, you know, then, then I went off and led life and kind of followed a dressage career. And, and to be honest, I did things really, really different. I think I did things the way I thought I was supposed to as a, as a young dressage trainer. And then had the good fortune of meeting Manolo Mendez. And that's when all of my interests from early childhood came back. And it was like, no, how comfortable the horse's body is. Like, that is everything. We, we can't forget that. Um, and that was sort of coinciding with me discovering long distance trail running and mountain biking and things for myself, which is, I think, really healthy because I let myself be my own guinea pig on some of these things instead of, you know, taking out my ideas on my horses first. Um, (laughs) But it also gives me a great appreciation. You know, it gives me a really good appreciation for what goes, like, especially just the consistency that goes into and all the little parts, the, the stretching and the hydration and all that stuff matters so much for any body, horses or humans. So um, that was, you know, a little bit, a little bit wandering all over the place. But I'm glad you mentioned our mutual friend, David Lichman. I haven't seen him in, in years at this point, but um, he actually, I think we sort of met before that clinic in the Redwoods. He had said early on, I was having this dressage crisis. You know, I was like, maybe I'm not a dressage <laughs> rider because I just don't, I don't identify <laughs> anymore. And he said, you should meet my friend, Karen Rolf. And that was years before you came out here to do a clinic. And maybe you were giving a demo or something and you didn't have time to actually formally meet, but it did leave an impression. I was like, wait a minute, she's doing something. I recognize this dressage. Like that's, yeah, that's something I can get behind. So anyway, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. David is the great connector. Shout out to David (laughs) Lichman. He's just such a has such a big heart and he's so good at meeting people and knowing who needs to connect. So I'm always appreciative because otherwise I just sit here all by myself at home and <laughs> yeah. talk to the, the computer. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned Manolo Mendez. That's somebody who had, who's been on my radar also for um, a while. And I just recently had an opportunity to go watch um, a clinic of his, a, a week long mm. clinic out in, Texas. And I was just like, I'm going, I have time in the calendar and I got to, you know, cause everything I've seen him put out was just so beautiful. And it was such a pleasure to meet him and see him work and see the absolutely high regard for the horse and the horse's mm. comfort and happiness. And to see someone who's so effective and so light um, and just all the bodywork knowledge that he has. So um, that's interesting. I can see um, yeah. why you would have a nice connection with with him too. So that's that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm just a little slower <laughs> to figure that one out. 
But yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think so many days, Jack, I feel like I'm doing dressage wrong. And through my evolution, you know, it's like you have this picture and then you're trying to do your thing and then you have the horse in front of you. And, and actually I, I think anybody who thinks that at some point or, uh, regularly, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I must be doing it wrong. I think is doing the right thing because it means we're questioning and we're looking at what's in front of us and we're seeing the horse and we're going, wait a minute, this isn't working. What else could I do? What am I missing? And I, so many problems of horses come from someone going, I know the right way it's supposed to happen. And it just has to happen mm -hmm. this way. I think a lot of horses have suffered from that. So anyway, you're, you're, yeah. <laughs> I think you're doing all right. If you're questioning what you're doing. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And, um, one of the, you know, since that meeting, you know, you've been on my radar, but it's, you know, we get busy and we're like, oh yeah, Jack, mm -hmm. she's awesome. And I see your books out there. You've written so many super helpful books. And then, uh, going on Facebook, I came across this, um, book of yours. I'm not sure when you put it out, but it was the horse fitness schedule. And, um, and, uh, this is, you know, in my courses, there's question and answer. And this is a question that I get all, so much from people is like, my horse is just coming back from an injury or he's really out of shape. What, what do I do? Um, and then I was like, Oh, you, you get Jack's book. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> Cause I was so, I never felt like I could answer the question quite, you know, appropriately or, or well enough for someone to really gain from it. Um, I think I do it by feel. And then mm -hmm. here's this book that's like week one, here's what you do week two. Here's what, you, here's what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, yeah. So I was just so grateful to, to come across this and I'd love, um, yeah, for you just to talk a little bit about, um, that. And I know I just jumped right in. I actually yeah. am thinking, I wasn't, wasn't sure if you finished your story that I interrupted and now I've gone on yeah, to that. No, I, um, I'd be happy to jump right in because I, in many years ago, I wrote the book Equine Fitness and I felt like that was an important book. I was kind of shocked that aside from veterinary information, that there wasn't just, um, well, and Dr. Hillary Clayton has a wonderful book from the early nineties called Conditioning Sport Horses, but it, it is pretty clinical. I mean, it's, it's a serious read. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and aside from that, I was surprised that there wasn't a book on just like, how do you, how do I help my horse become a little bit more fit? And so I wrote that book, Equine yeah. Fitness. But then I felt like people, I too was constantly hearing like I, they needed more concrete things. And I would say, you know, I'm like you, I think I've worked with so many horses that there's, there is a lot of feel to it and a little bit of creativity. But the average amateur might only just have one horse. They might not have that same approach, you know, and they were kind of looking for something that was a little bit more like a recipe. And I would say, you know, you, you don't just like tick the boxes in horse training. It's not formulaic. But then I started to really sit down and think about like training, con conditioning training concepts. And I thought, well, enough of them are formulaic that I could create a roadmap for people for whom that would be helpful for people who really want to be told, like, just do this this day, just do this the next day. There's room within the schedule for creativity and to add your own sort yeah. of experience. 
But if that is intimidating to you, you don't have to. Like if you just follow the program, you will bring your horse back into a, a what I call like a baseline or working fitness um, without causing them to be sore or lame or cranky or re-injuring whatever the original injury was. So that's what got me going on it. And at that time, I just decided to self-publish it because it's such a small little manual. Um, and maybe down the road, I'll, I'll roll it into one of my other books. But it has been it's been really helpful to people, which is, oh, it's just so gratifying to hear. It just takes some of the guesswork yeah. out because in fairness to vets, they have to be such general practitioners. And a lot of times when somebody has had, especially an injury and they, the horse gets laid up or they've had a horrific winter or whatever, and they, and they want to bring the horse back, usually there's this really vague prescription to be like, well, you know, start working them a little. And then, and the problem with that is we all take that through our lens. So you, Karen, know if you told me to exercise a little, like to me, that's like an hour of pretty hard work, right? But for somebody yeah. else, their perspective would be like 15, 20 minutes. So our problem as humans is we're filtering it through our lens of what we consider hard or easy or long or short and trying to apply that to our horse. And it's not very accurate. So, um, yeah. I just used the info and data that I've had from the equine exercise physiology courses I've taken and studied and sort of distilled it down into a little bit of a roadmap. And, and it's been really helpful in keeping it simple. Cause that's the big thing, especially with horses that have been maybe you've encountered this like kind of high performing, let's say dressage horses. I think when they've had an extended period of time off, which is any, any period more than six weeks is, actually an extended period of time off for a horse to be out of exercise. But a lot of times when they come back into work, people just do a smaller volume of what the horse's skill set is. So let's say they do a lot of lateral work and flying changes in their normal life, and then they have a bit of a time off. And then when the person wants to recondition them, they know that they need to take it slowly, but they make the mistake of saying, well, instead of, you know, my 40 minute or one hour session, I'm just going to do a shorter session of all those movements, the, the half pass, the haunches in. The, and what happens is because the postural muscles are in this really dormant state, the horses are going through these exercises using all the wrong mechanics. So it's, it takes longer to recondition them and actually can be counterproductive to just do a smaller volume of what your normal work set is. You really just need to do basic exercise, which is what the little booklet that I made leads you through. And it might seem time consuming, but it's sort of like making haste slowly. You know, it actually goes faster. If you just keep it simple and you just follow a conditioning schedule, you end up back at your high performance level. I find a lot faster. You don't end up taking all these detours of like re-injury and anxiety and tension and all the stuff that we create for yeah. our horses, <laughs> myself included yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, talking about the veterinarian recommendations, so, so much it's like stall rest, you know, if it's an injury, stall rest, then, you know, five minutes on a straight line or 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, so what happens is people, the horses stand in the stall and then they go start doing stuff. And I love that you, you know, incorporate, there's so many more exercises than just getting on and doing the, the riding session. There's all the groundwork um, groundwork things. And this is, you know, I have with horses, there's always these lessons. I don't know about you, but like I have the lesson that I learn, and then I have to learn it like 10 more times, you know, but I think I've got this one is um, whenever a horse of mine has had an injury. Um, well, it started with this 
horse that had laminitis and it's like, okay, this one really needs, like it couldn't move. So it needed to be like in the stall where it could eat and drink. Um, but you know, I can't just leave it alone. So I'd go in there and I do these, like my own version of like postural exercises. And I thought, well, what can it do? What can, what can we do? We can do neck stretches. We can do all those things. And through this one horse in particular, when she came out and finally was at the stage of like, okay, I think she can get on me or I can get on her. I'm like, she is better than when I left her. Hmm. And there was all this other stuff you can do to help set the horse up and, and be prepared than just sitting in a stall and now start doing stuff, doing stuff. And so looking through what you offer, all these different calisthenic routines, um, is just so, so cool and so valuable. And so part of what my lesson was is like, Hey, why am I not doing that all the time <laughs> with all yeah. my horses, even the fit ones? I'm like why? So now I incorporate, there's at least one day a week of each horse that we do the funny stuff in the barn aisle. And it doesn't mm-hmm. take a lot of, you know, and I just do all these little things and stand on this and stand on this while stretching. And um, it has been, um, so, so helpful. So anyway, that was a, one of the things that I really love to see, you know, is it's not just nothing and then go work and do all the stuff. What's really interesting about that example that you just gave is, um, you know, horses are incredible, um, cardiovascular athletes. I mean, having evolved in the wild and, and, and needing to outrun prey. They have phenomenal cardiovascular systems and they can make adaptations to cardiovascular stimulus very rapidly, w- way faster than humans do. So like increased in plasma volume, ability to thermoregulate, um, lowered heart and respiration rates. But they are they, they take like forever to make strength gains. Um, they're really inefficient. And so when we when a lot of horses have had a time off and everything's unfit, cardiovascular and strength, generally the prescriptions are just geared towards cardiovascular. Like that's a lot of what you get from mm-hmm. the vet is like, okay, start walking the horse 20 minutes and then add trot and then do this. And it's all just aerobic work. There often is not a prescription for these kind of postural and strength building exercises. And I've always told people that's more important because the horse, a horse, basically through its normal work will make aerobic gains. They're really wired to do that. So we don't have to, you don't want to overbuild their aerobic engine. If the body of the car is still like falling apart and the hubcaps Mm. are flying off, right? You really want to think about building the body of of the car because that's what takes long. I mean, even if you're doing everything right, it takes at least six weeks of consistent exercise stimulus to make um, enlargement in the muscle fibers. There's no way to get around physiology. Um, but cardiovascularly, you can get gains in like within 10 days, you could start measuring gains. So, wow. so the, the part about what you mentioned is you start to trigger and activate the postural muscles and keep them in an active state. They might not be super fit, but they're not dormant, you know, keeping them activated. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believe, I don't know about you, but well, you're like in the hub of things in Florida. I really believe like five, 10 years from now, the horse world is going to look totally different. Like I think there's going to be full on physical therapists and physical therapy that we understand. I mean, just, just how human medicine has evolved, you know, you used to get a knee surgery and then lay around, right? Now they're like, Oh, it's been two hours. Let's get you up and start doing some mobility exercises. So I think we're really going to shift in the horse world. I'm excited to see it. 
I hope I hope so. I mean, I hope the horse world gets smarter as it <laughs> as it goes. Um, I I think maybe for me, just you know, with age, because I've always been like fit and healthy, and um, you know, I'm like expect everybody else to be like. But now I'm like, oh, I have some back pain, and I gotta I go to a physical therapist just just for maintenance because I'm my pelvis mm-hmm. is so out of whack, and so I'm like you said. Ex- experiencing the power of a very specific small exercise done well it feels like you know for me i'm like this is nothing like give me some weights you know i'm like oh this is huge (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then you know then you can transfer that onto the horses of like why am i doing this funny little thing oh because it actually is meaningful and it's turning on the right you know, muscles that are going to help it. So that's interesting to know about the difference between the aerobic capacity and the strength capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, um, are there general, well, I guess, what are the biggest mistakes that you see people making? And maybe this might be one answer or two of like in just generally getting their horses fit or coming back from an injury. Maybe it's the same, maybe it's different. I don't know. What are some bigger, biggest mistakes um, you see? So some of the common things I see are, so like coming back for injuries. So let's use that one. Cause that one's really interesting. I mean, and again, it, it's pretty dependent on what the injury was, but we'll say that the horses had a you know, sizable amount of time off and, and probably there was some stall rest involved. And the studies have shown that within four days of, of, a trauma, so it's like significant pain, the deep back muscles turn off. And that's pretty similar to humans, actually. So to get them to switch back on, and as we know, without the horse activating its spinal stabilizers, you're just not going to have healthy movement. But even after you've resolved the pain, if you don't do little mobility drills to switch those muscles back on, it, it doesn't just happen. And so if somebody sets about adding aerobic fitness without taking care of slowly bringing the muscular and the soft tissue back on board, they end up, they might not end up re-injured. I mean, sometimes they do, but a lot of times they just end up with really compromised movement, really choppy uh, you know, the horse is just a shadow of what it maybe used to be if it's a real, you know, high performer. Um, so I see that a lot. I see the kind of hurrying back into aerobic fitness before adding these little corrective exercises. And then also just in terms of how the volume is distributed. So in the case of injury, we'll stay with that for a second. A lot of times, People are so diligent. I find like p- people just want to do the best thing for their horse. And if the vet says, walk your horse for 20 minutes, they follow it to a T or they try to. I mean, sometimes the horse is walking on its back legs and it's crazy and out of its mind because it's been on stall rest for, you know, who knows how long, but hopefully that's not the case. And and that's all they do. They just follow what the vet said to do. But in reality, because we just talked about keeping the muscle activated, and getting, you know, soft tissue gliding across each other again and getting all those systems working and turning on the proprioceptors, all that responds better to frequent stimulus. So rather than like one 20 minute chunk, if that's all you're allowed to move your horse, in my opinion, it's way better to do as many tiny, short little sessions throughout the day to fulfill that as possible, because it is truly the frequency of those little exercise bouts, you know, maybe you bring your horse out and you're doing a couple of neck stretches and tail pulls and you're walking up and down the, 
the hard ground and um, as many times throughout the day as you can. It's really distributing that volume. And I think we need to change our thinking about that. We do tend to think about it. We, we approach exercise in like single installments per day. Mm-hmm. And in these cases where horses have been injured or they're coming back, they they really benefit from getting out throughout the day. And to be honest, that's that's what happens at a rehab facility. Many people are thrilled. They send their horse away and spend a small fortune to a rehab center and they come and the horse looks like a million bucks when they bring it home. Um, really, you know, yeah, there's fancy equipment at a rehab facility, but to be honest, a lot of it is just the, uh, the frequency that they're getting those, those horses out. Um, so, so that's one of the main things. The other thing is sometimes there's a lot of, maybe this is just a peeve of mine. Maybe it's not a mistake. Maybe it's just a peeve of mine. There's a lot of mistaking, um, working up a sweat for productive exercise. So let's say people start to feel guilty because like, especially around the holidays, you know, people get busy and the horse is just sitting in their paddock or their stall or whatever. And then around the middle of January, people are like, wow, I got to exercise my horse. This is just an example. And they'll bring this, this just makes my, my skin crawl, but they'll bring the horse out and put it in the arena and like chase it around madly for 20 minutes until it's huffing and puffing and there's steam coming off the flanks and they feel pretty good. You know, they're like, whew, that was a good workout. And I'm like, there's nothing gained. I mean, okay. The horse blows (laughs) off some energy, but from a fitness standpoint, from a fitness standpoint, first of all, the horse went from zero to frantic in a matter of seconds. So the postural system was never recruited because that those are slow twitch fibers. So they need to be active, activated in a slow twitch way. So when a horse just starts, you're chasing it around, they activate their gymnastic system right away. So those are all the muscles that don't have any nerves, well, have limited nerve supply. So you're just creating bad movement patterns. You're creating tension and rigidity the proprioceptors switch off because those are in the deep muscles surrounding joints. So those are not activated. So sometimes there's this confusing working up a sweat for exercise. Um, and I caution people away from that. It would be far more productive to just tie on your sneakers and walk your horse really briskly for 40 minutes. You're going to, in terms of fitness, you're going to get more out of that than chasing them around and having them spin and whirl and, and whatnot. Um, so that's something I see frequently as well. The other thing that's, uh, this might sound counterintuitive, but the other thing I see a lot is, is when people are being really diligent and they're trying to recondition their horse after a long time off, or they have like a, maybe they have a rescue situation and they're, they're taking things slowly. They start with walking, they start kind of building up. There does become a time where then you need to add in some pretty hard workouts. So after you've laid the groundwork, like let's say you've worked through eight plus weeks of very gradual conditioning, if you don't then start to do a hard workout, so hard could be really intense but short, or it could be a long um, but sort of mild effort effort, um, workout. If you don't start interjecting those into like every 10 day cycle, the horse will actually start to detrain and we're the same. So you need that novel stimulus, but you also need hard effort, like hard muscular contractions to keep the connection between the nervous system and the muscles. So it really keeps those synapses fired up. If we always do things at the same rate, the same effort, 
um, things start to sort of corrode. There's a detraining effect because horses are so efficient. It goes back to that um, cardiovascular efficiency I was talking about earlier. Because they are so efficient, they their central pattern generators start to just take over the the rhythm of the gait. So there's not as much muscular effort within each movement or sequence of gait. So I like to do you know, every week or 10 days, I like to do like a, a gallop session if you have room for that, or you could do a hard trail ride, or you could do a little gymnastic jumping session or something like that. But there, there does need to be a hard effort and it's okay to work horses hard. They're amazing athletes, but I see sometimes people are really worried, you know, like, Oh, I don't want to break my horse or, you know, or, or he used to be injured or, you know, they have these stories. We all do, you know, two years ago, we had this hoof thing that went on and I've been taking it really easy and that's great. You do need to take it easy, but then there becomes a time where if we're going to talk about fitness, it's okay to work them hard. Not every day. Don't do it every day, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah, it's so interesting um, you talking about that because I've, um, I mean, my horses, I, they're, I think they're pretty fit, and I'm, you know, training them. But you know, more and more, I want to be like, oh, I want everything to be harmonious. I want to be nice and, and you know, everything light and easy. And I've sort of noticed that I go through this little cycle with them of, if I, if I'm and this is going to come out wrong, but it's like, if it's too nice and too easy all the time, it feels like it gets worse. And then we end up needing like a come on and we dig in and we do something that's like, rah. and then they're after that, they're like, oh, I'm a rock star. And I, it feels like, like you said, like things are turning on. I've sort of noticed that cycle and I've sort of told myself like, okay, it's it, we need to blend the easy and soft with the like digging in and using those muscles. And it just, it felt to me like it had more, a global effect. It wasn't just like, okay, here's a hard lesson sucker. It felt like they, the residual of that, like things were turned on for a while afterwards. And then even mm -hmm. the, the soft, easy stuff was different. So um, that's mm -hmm. interesting that there's a physiology to that. Yeah. Yeah. There really is a strength is the neuromuscular connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and the other mistake I think, uh, before I before I forget, there was one other like common sort of misnomer I see people make, and that is um, using the horse's respiratory rate as a marker of fitness. So um, a lot of people, as they're trying to condition their horse, they will use how much he huffs and puffs to be a gauge for either how hard the horse is working and or how fit he or she is becoming. And it is not an accurate predictor at all. It's how horses shed heat. It can be if they're stressed, if they're working in, you know, deeper footing than they're used to. It is not an accurate predictor of their fitness. And so I, I commonly will ask people a second question. Like it can be part of your picture, you know, how, how hard your horse is panting, but it don't, don't use it as like the sole measurement that and sweating because horses sweat a ton and they, and they lose a lot of salt in their sweat. So they're not very efficient that way. You're really looking at how do they recover? How do, how are they approaching the exercise? Is their coordination getting worse as I'm working through this session? Are they getting sour? You know, like their behavior, these are the, the kind of markers that you want to use. And then how does the horse bounce back in the subsequent days after a hard effort? Um, so, 
So I just want to get my respir- my respiratory uh, soapbox oh, in there. That is, that's <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the other so the other questions that you ask are about recovery coordination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, do makes, you like sense. do you ever find with like with when you're giving students lessons? Again, it comes back to our human perception, but sometimes there will be this assessment that, oh, this is hard for him or he's working hard. Like I hear that language a lot from a writer, but sometimes it'll be the writer's own lack of fitness. Like let's say we're working on the canner for a fair bit and they'll say, oh, this is really hard for him. And what's interesting is very few of us ride with a heart rate monitor, except for my endurance riders. And I'll say, well, how do you know it's hard for him? Like sometimes it's that the student wants to take a break, which is fair enough. Just say you want to take a break, sure. you know, but, um, <laughs> but when you say this is hard for the horse, well, is it? Cause some horses to use the canter example, some of them like Arabians, they canter at a lower heart rate than they trot. Some of them, they're very efficient. So, you know, we have to be a little bit careful with our assumptions about things relating mm-hmm. to effort level in the horse for sure. That's a, it's a good point. Cause even just talking to you now, I'm, I'm kind of tripping over my, <clears throat> my language. Cause I'm thinking, what does hard mean? What does easy mean? What does light <laughs> <know>. mean? <clears throat> and, and it is so subjective. And I, I a lot of times in, in the students I work with off, often it'll be like, oh, this is hard for him. And it's like, well, let's, def- let's define that. And I'm often it, it comes into it's, confusing or they don't understand, you know, they don't understand it yet or they're emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, not, it's not often that it actually feels like a fitness issue. Although I have run into horses that really were um, out of shape, but, but they can often do something. They just can't do it a long time. Um, but there's a right. lot of stuff that you can right. do at the walk and stuff. But yeah. So I have this, a little quote, like if people are wondering, you know, is, should I be doing this? I'll say, well, is it, you know, is what you're asking fair, reasonable, impossible? And hmm. that's a, my little guideline. And sometimes we'll stop and go, actually, it's it's not <laughs> fair because they don't understand or they're, mm-hmm. you know, emotional. Um, but then if if they say, well, yeah, it is fair, reasonable, impossible. It's like, all right, let's do it then. <laughs> let's keep going. Um, but that's a little guideline. Mm-hmm. But um, I think to, as a way to measure you know, I think that's really good to say it's not just the respiration. It's not just the sweating. Cause you can have a fit horse break into a sweat, um, mm-hmm. from emotions, but they're not yeah. fit. Yeah, absolutely. Or in really humid places, like where you are, there's just a yeah. lot of cooling that has to happen. And that doesn't mean the exercise yeah. itself is, um, challenging it just it means the environment is challenging so it gets tricky but um there's a few training videos that i put out where i have to write in the beginning like keep in mind it's 90 degrees (laughs) and humid so yes my horse is covered with sweat my white horse is black she's fine (laughs) and and it's four in the morning and i'm out here riding Yeah. Well, it's it's uplifting for me to hear that you get asked that question a lot for how do people bring their horses back. It's really that's great for me to hear because I think that's sort of a shift in our mindset. I think we used to much more treat horses like they were just sort of robots. I mean, when I grew up, a lot of them would 
maybe they wouldn't get the winter totally off, but they'd have a lot of time off in the winter because it's Vermont and it's really, you really wintry. Which yeah. is, it's why I don't live there anymore, but that's a separate subject. And we would just like start back up in April and just, you know, kind of go for it. I mean, we would, we would rebuild a little bit. There was sort of, there used to be this, um, I don't know if people say this anymore, but there's sort of this old assumption that, uh, well, if the, if, if when you let them down, like around November at a high level of fitness, they'll come back to it really quick. They'll come back to that really quick. And I always operated with that. I mean, all of my colleagues did too. It's like, well, if the horse was really fit a few months ago, they're going to come back quicker than an unfit horse. And there's actually not really a physiological basis behind that. If the horse has had more than 12 weeks off, there's like, and it's kind of not really true, but I think where this came from was a lot of the, the, or there's only a limited amount of research actually around this, but it mostly it's been done on like at the track. So we're talking about a very specific kind of horse, thoroughbreds and like endurance horses, Arabian. So we're, we're sort of measuring horses that have a different aerobic capacity and metabolic capacity than other breeds anyway. So I think some of this information we had early on was a really, really narrow perception. Um, maybe they have a higher exercise tolerance naturally as a breed, you know, but to your point, it doesn't make, it doesn't mean they're fit, right? Just because a horse is mm-hmm. willing and perky and peppy uh, doesn't mean that inside there's not strain and depletion and, you know, metabolic waste pooling up in the tissues. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. Do you, um, you know, kind of back to the, the the stall rest thing, which is one of my, mm. my, oh, I've, you know, it's funny. I had a horse that had a bit of a tendon injury and, and, for the first time, the vet was like, well, typically we say stall rest, but now, you know, I'm like, oh, really now? So all the other times before when I had to like hide the fact that I was letting my <laughs> horse out in a small <laughs> paddock, <laughs> I'm like, now you're finally coming around. Um, but yeah, I think, have you, <laughs> a lot of these calisthenic type exercises that you, you show, like these can be done with horses that are, um, injured you know is what are are there any guidelines yeah i I know it depends on the injury and what you're doing um a lot of them can be done yeah like a lot of them can be done like the american association of equine practitioners has put out several uh good articles in the past uh, several years especially for um hind end anomalies like really weak stifles or a horse that ends up on stall rest because of laminitis or whatever, and then they start getting really slippery stifles. They put out a lot of good uh, stationary kind of exercises. So, you know, your classic tail pulls and then sideways tail pulls and asking the horse to stabilize his body as you press in certain areas. Um, and, And again, they all can be done in a stall when the horse is not moving. And if people are really diligent about doing those maneuvers then when it comes time for your horse to, when you when they're cleared to do the controlled exercise the hand walking and, and all of that then things can progress a lot more seamlessly like a lot of times what i've seen is that instead of doing the hand walking you know they're cleared to do walking with a rider on them um as soon as they can you know get out of the stall and start moving around and and things like that so 
again, I get that these exercises seem really silly. Uh, I'll be the first one to tell you that. But I also know from being an athlete myself that doing the little mobility drills that I do to keep myself in in form and pain-free to run, like they seem ridiculous. I'll be the first one to tell you and they work. I'm not going to, like yeah. when I don't do that, I'm like, oh man, I think I need a hip replacement. And when I do the exercises, <laughs> I feel awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I like them. I mean, my, my horses seem to enjoy them and especially ones that are for, for whatever reason, you know, injured or not in work. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go do night check. It's like, you have the one horse who's in the stall, you know, cause he's injured and, mm-hmm. um, at night and he's, you know, I'll, I'll be out there for an hour. My husband's like, what are you doing out there? I'm like, well, we're, you know, we're doing our little things and you know, it's enrichment, right? It's, it gives them something to think about. It gives a little partnership mm-hmm. time where you're just delivering things that are sort of end up making them feel good and I've always felt like my relationship with the horse improves from doing these little things. It helps, it helps me slow down and feel yeah. my horse differently. And, and all that stuff has such a huge value. And, and, you know, when it's the day of the week where, you know, it's my, you know, even the ones who are riding and fit right now and, you know, I'll get out the little stability mat and they're like, fighting over who gets to be on the mat and they're, you know, one of them, I just point and he does his little neck stretches and you know, <laughs> it's, it. they, yeah, it. it's, and the one I put them, so she's up a little higher in front and she, I mean, they seem to really, really enjoy it. the tail pull and she'll just whoosh, goes into the zone. Um, so I think it has a value you know, the exercise itself, but the relationship value. And I think just slowing the human down and feeling their horse has a huge value. Yeah. I'm really happy to hear you say that because I've often thought that the kind of the secret hidden value of these conditioning plans is, um, especially for the unmounted corrective exercises is I think most of us know and accept that there's a good balance to, to ride the horse. Like we want the horse to be round over its top line and really move correctly. But I also know there's a big learning curve for a lot of people to, to know how to do that, to help their horse move better. And it can be confusing and hard and challenging and frustrating, but these are exercises that you can do to help the horse, you know, use its body and feel comfortable and get in some of those postures that will benefit them under saddle. And I feel like the barrier to entry is really low. I feel like there's not this huge skill requirement and um, you don't have to beat yourself up. Be like, oh, I wish I were a better rider and be able to help my horse. And, right. and that's what's so fun about it is people are like, oh, I was back in my horse down the hill, like you suggested. And I discovered that he gets really crooked with the right hind or something, which funny enough is something that I've probably told him seven times in a lesson, but they couldn't feel it or they couldn't correct, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, that's so cool. Like you have this other, other way that you're um, able to kind of help the horse use his body or even observe it, just explore. And, and that's a kind of side benefit in addition to giving the horse's body really positive stimulus. Yeah. I was playing with an exercise. I was, stalking your YouTube channel. (laughs) Like, let me look around and um, came across this exercise um, where you back the horse up one diagonal pair and then Mm. 
sort of swing back and forth and the other diagonal pair stays put. And I'm like, Ooh, this looks like cool. And it's very related to an upper level dressage movement that actually they took out of the test, but it used to be halt back up four steps, walk forward, four steps, back up four steps. Um, so I was playing with that and I'm like, Whoa, this takes so much feel and timing and how interesting to watch what the horse does, especially with one pair compared to the other pair. I mean, I could get lost mm. in that little exercise. Um, so <laughs> I was really glad I, I poked around here. But yeah, it's so they're simple. Um, but you know, you're you're in a position, like you said, you don't have to feel it. You can look at it. Like, okay, those two legs stay on the ground, the other two legs move. And mm-hmm. they and ideally at the same time. And so just you know, the communication, understanding, the feel, the timing of when you switch. I mean, that's all very sophisticated stuff, but you can see it. Like, I didn't need you there to tell me, uh, Karen, right. that other leg is moving, you know, where we yeah, need that right. when we're riding. And it so does make people he, slow down. Like you said, you, you have to kind of get calm. And it's delightful. You know, it just happens automatically. You just get centered. You start communicating with your horse really softly. It's it's yeah. so cool. Cool. So so I, I grabbed this horse fitness schedule and probably like most people, I'm like, give me the schedule. Tell me what to do. But I know that this <laughs> this little book is actually a companion to the book you wrote earlier. So maybe can you explain how the two fit together? Because, you know, you have these cute shorthand drawings, but I, I'm sure like in the other book, you probably explain a little bit more. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So let me explain that. And I, and again, this is, I'm sorry for anybody for who this is cumbersome. So what happened, I wrote the equine fitness book, like I mentioned, it was published by story publishing. So when you publish a book with a publisher, they own the content. So for that reason, I couldn't just, um, you know, steal all the, 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 the drawings and the info from that book, even though I wrote the book. So um, when I wrote this little conditioning schedule, it is meant to give you a timeline and day-by-day sequence of how to condition your horse. And it references the exercises in the equine fitness book. And the reason they're, they're standalone is because I self-published this little manual. So um, it's not that I I'm trying to pull the wool over because, anybody's eyes. Oh, no, no, no. I think it's perfect because like, here's how my brain works is like, Ooh, I want the schedule. You're right. And <laughs> yeah, then I right. get in it. I'm like, Oh, I need to know more. So, so then you, you go by the book, you know, I think they work perfectly and it's not, actually, it's kind of nice having it separate because this is like spiral bound and it's like, you could drop this in a puddle and it probably wouldn't fall apart. Like that the was my papers yeah. kind of, yeah, the kind of paper you use. So, I mean, I think it actually works out really well as a separate thing because this one you bring out to the barn and the other one you read at home before you go out to the barn, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, um, that was my hope. Oh, and I then think, also, I think like, I, I, and I'm a reader. I love to read, but um, I don't take offense. Sometimes people are like, you know, I, I just can't be bothered to read all the <laughs> stuff. Like, I just want the schedule. Just tell me what to do. And so... Um, again, I don't take any offense to that. So you can just follow the schedule, but, but you do need, you don't have to have your own copy of equine fitness. You just need to be able to borrow somebody's or you can get it online <laughs> or have it go. on your Kindle. You just need <laughs> reference to the book equine fitness. Yeah. So. Well, it's just, it's cool that you put this together because like you said, there's, 
there's a there was a little missing hole in practical information because you know you can read you know like Dr. Clayton stuff and you know it's like it's great information but often when after I read her stuff I'm like okay now what do I do <laughs> like what do I do yeah. with that information um, and you know the the scientific studies um, so you've really done a great service to to make it practically you know, how to practically apply it when you're out there with your horse, you kind of answer the question of, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> so that's just really, oh, really cool. And um, well, I, I think, appreciate it. You know, yeah, I mean, you're a dressage trainer, but it's just, I always love when people bring in the other passions of their life because your, you know, your fitness and your athleticism definitely informed, you, you let it inform your classical dressage training and, and classical dressage training is fairly prescribed and this is the way we do it. So it's easy to think, yeah. Oh, there's nothing, there's nothing I could lend. I mean, I, I thought that when I wrote my book, I'm like, what business do I have writing a book on dressage? Like it's been done. And then I thought, <laughs> Oh, I just got to bring in my perspective and you did the same thing. So, so valuable. Thank you. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one-week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. If you had a message to the horse world... A message to the world too, if you want, but a message to the horse world, what would you want that message to be? God, I guess. And I didn't give this, I didn't, I didn't tell you I was going to be asking this. So sorry, Jack. Um, <laughs> I think it would just be to have a clear why, what, why are you, you know, on any given day, why are you still with horses? Why? Do you pursue this? Why does it bring you joy if it does? And I, I think, because my why has changed so much over the years, but as long as I keep asking myself, because I think to, to show up and be present for horses, there does need to be some reason why you're doing it. I feel like otherwise you become really inconsistent or very, maybe not committed to it. And and then the horse is the one that, that doesn't benefit. Um, so for me, sometimes my why has been like, oh, I want to be a professional at this stage. It's that I want to have fun and be a better person. And so those are really different whys and they've evolved and that's cool, but there's always a very clear why 
because it's it's expensive and time consuming to have horses in our lives. And uh, I think just kind of rooting down on why we're all still in it is really important. And it can mean all kinds of different things to different people. It doesn't have to mean what it means to your barn mates or your friends or what you read online. It can be your own thing. So that would be it for now. <laughs> I love that answer. And it's just so interesting because I just <laughs> recorded a podcast, um, a couple of podcasts ago um, about professionals and, and uh, one of the, one of the calls to action at the end of that podcast is just, Hey, like ask yourself, why did you get into horses in the first place? And why are you doing this? And, and to ask, you know, dare to ask a professional, Hey, why, you know, why'd you get into horses in the first place? Cause it, it feels like a lot of horse professionals have not thought about that in a long time, you know, and, uh, and we do have to evolve. You know, my, my why has definitely changed. And I think when you, when you know your why it, it helps, you know, what does success look like on that day? Right. Cause my why used to be mm-hmm. get to Grand Prix and like, I'm still heading that direction, but my why now is much more similar to yours. I just want to be happy and have a fun time with my horses and feel like my horses are happy to see me the next day. That's a total different just totally different decisions will be made. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Based on those two whys. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of pain. If you, if you're in your heart, you're doing one thing, but you haven't told yourself that yet. And you're still trying to measure to some other why that's long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for saying that. (laughs) Oh, good. Oh, it gives me hope for the horse world. (laughs) that There's more. Right. Especially people, you know, that have a voice like you, you're, you're out there helping people. And um, that's so wonderful to remind people to think of their oh, why. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Has there anything that I missed that you're just bursting uh, to say? Or do you think we got this pretty good? Just, for the first, I think we got you know. it good. I just have, I'm, I'm grateful any chance I get to talk about this topic. So thank you. I am, I'm very optimistic or maybe hard-headed but i'm optimistic that the horse world will continue to evolve and to yes horses are kind and they're amazingly athletic that doesn't mean that they are performing without strain um and if we take care of their bodies the training can be a lot more straightforward and doesn't need to become as complicated. We don't need all the injections that people give their horses these days. Um, I know that's an unpopular thing to say, but exercise is therapy and should be therapy. So if exercise is causing your horse to need therapy, it's, there's something wrong. Um, but I think there's going to continue to be a lot of, I hope, uh, studies um, around physiology and and sports studies for horses and we're just going to continue to evolve and and hopefully i'm around long enough to see that so that's my my big hope for these wonderful amazing animals beautifully said jack thank you so so much so jack where can people find out more about you and all the things that you offer the best place is my website. It's jackballoo.com. And in recent years, I've started offering custom fitness plans for people, which has been 
so fun and rewarding. And that's where people can send a video and feedback and um, a vet report if that's relevant. And I send them a day by day, four week program to follow with their horse. So that's my new jam and I'm just loving it and having so much fun. So check it out. That sounds amazing. (laughs) All right, cool. Thanks. I'd love to have you back on the pod again. If you ever feel a desire to tell the world something and just let me okay. know and I'll, I'll have you back on and okay. I'm sure I'll have, I'm sure I'll have questions for you again in the future. So thank you again for stopping okay. by the pod. Thanks for having me. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse move in harmony and enjoy the process.